Hey, I want a special, um, welcome a special visitor today, and that is Pastor Russick Ranshaw, uh, all the way from Wellington. Uh, Russick was uh, senior pastor at Abundant Life Centre in Wellington, and I was trying to think this morning how many years I've known you, um, and I I think I remember in the early 80s, I think it might have been about 86, 1986, uh, I think you had uh, Abundant Life Centre, I think it was in the main um, street, I think where St. James Theatre is it, I think it was along there somewhere from memory, and I remember we went and um, I remember a couple of bands came down and played there, and I remember coming uh, for that, um, and uh, I've I've been fortunate enough to sit through many of your sermons and listen to much of your wisdom. And I think the thing um, that really has stood out to me is the fact that you uh, have been a person that has never allowed circumstances to extinguish your passion in God. And I think that is something that I, that personally to me is a great, great example and an example that we all need to be aware of that we should never go off the boil in God. We should always be white hot in God for the sake of the next generations coming behind us. We can't lose the generations behind us. If you're a parent here today, you need to make sure you stay white hot for the sake of your kids. You need to make sure you're bringing them to church. You've got them engaged in God's things and and doing everything to uh, keep God alive in their lives and that. So, uh, you know, I've, I just honour you, um, Russick, for the fact that you've been a faithful man to God. You are all about um, God's kingdom and that. And, and how about we put our hands together as Russick comes to speak this morning. So... Thank you, Dean, for your very kind words. It's an absolute joy to be with you. You know my association goes with Hudson Salisbury. When Hudson was around, he, uh, and, uh, and also Eric Chambers, and uh, who was the other one I mentioned? Uh, Frank, Frank. Uh, Frank, oh, his name, surname, I've forgotten now. F- Frank? No, no, uh, Frank Garrett, Frank Garrett, and, uh, and uh, of course, Peter Morrow in Christchurch. They were the seniors. I was the young kind guy coming up under them. So my association with this church goes back a very long time. And I thank you uh, for the privilege of ministering to you today. I do want to encourage <coughs> everywhere I go, because now I'm itinerating in every church, because of the... COVID, certain of our established practices can easily unravel. And one of them is coming to church. And we, the fact that you're here shows that you believe that. But please do encourage everybody else to do that constantly because the, table, the Hebrews tells us, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. And then it adds a, a, a modifier. Especially as you see the day approaching. 
the more we, we believe the coming of the Lord is getting nearer, all the more God's people need to come together. Uh, so I commend that to you because on the very first day of Pentecost when the church was born, 3,000 people came into the kingdom and what was their corporate life? They continued steadfastly in teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. You can do that at the personal level, but it's not a substitute for the corporate level. It must be at those two. And so particularly in types of upheaval, people can easily fall by the wayside. We must take look after each other and constantly encourage. It's very important to be part of the church and to attend the church. Amen. All right, now I'm going to bring my message to you. And of course, uh, over 60, uh, getting around to 60 years of ministry, somewhere around there, 50 to 60 years, you got, uh, you've preached thousands of sermons. But the challenge is what to bring to God's people led by the Spirit of God. And so there's a constant waiting, Lord, what are you saying? And some messages are different messages at different churches. Some messages is for a season of time. So as I've been praying with the coming of the new year, uh, I want to preach. Uh, this is one of the things I've been very exercised about. I want to speak to you today about seven characteristics of the gospel. Seven characteristics of the gospel. Now, if most of us here know some aspects of this, but the burden of my heart is that these seven aspects will move from belief to convictions, deeply held convictions, like when they're building a building, I've seen it in Wellington, massive holes they dig into the ground, and they drive these piles into the ground. And I thought the seven things are like seven piles going down deep into the ground of our hearts that move us from a belief that we say, yes, we agree with that, to something that has so deeply held value that we prepared to stand up for it, no matter what. And so this, as I've meditated on this, and you know when the message is growing, because God shows to you different aspects of it, it keeps growing in your heart. So it's the ramifications of the gospel. We know what gospel means, good news. But the implications of the gospel. So I'm taking it from the book of Romans, and most of this is from chapter 1. A couple of things are from chapter 10 and elsewhere, but it's mainly from chapter 1. So here, here are the seven convictions. Number one, the source of the gospel. The source of the gospel. What is the source of the gospel? Very first verse, it says, uh, uh, the gospel he promised beforehand, he says, regarding his son, but uh, now here it is, verse one. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. That phrase of God. The source of the gospel is God himself. And why is it important? Because human beings have come up with lots of substitutes for the gospel. Lots of substitutes for the gospel. Philosophy is a substitute for the gospel. To try and explain what life is about, 
uh, and especially religious philosophy like uh, in, uh, in India and so forth. Or there's morals and other moral systems that have come up. But the source of the gospel is God himself. Just the same way is in creation, the beginning words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God was the initiator. He was the source of creation. So in redemption, in redemption, that's why John's gospel, it starts off, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The end purpose of that was our redemption. So the gospel, the, you know, in redemption, God is again the initiating person. It has its roots in God. And why is that important for us to really lay hold of that? Because if you really believe it's from God, you'll stand up for it. It's God made, not man made. It's good. Whatever God does is good. The gospel, as it were, is a good product. Good quality. Perfect. The best. Because if we are told to propagate the gospel, you cannot propagate the gospel unless you've got certain convictions about the gospel. Hey, this is from God. All right, that's the first thing. That's why the implication of this, that's why the Apostle Paul uses this kind of phrase. We won't turn to it. I'll write down this reference. So 1 Corinthians 15, 13, 15, verse 3. What I receive from the Lord, I give to you. What I receive from the Lord, I give to you. Write down Galatians chapter 1. When he's contending for the gospel, he says, gospel is not of human origin. No man gave it to me. God himself revealed it to me, for I was a persecutor of the church, and God turned me around 180 degrees through an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's not of human origin. That's why the apostle Paul contended for, uh, contended for it, because he didn't in, Paul didn't invent it. No human being invented it. And because no human being invented it, we cannot change it. All right, we'll come to more of that. You see, that's why it says, it's a, what I received of the Lord. And write down 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-two, Regarding the communion, the Apostle Paul was not there with the 12 when the Lord celebrated the communion. He came to know the Lord afterwards. And God gave to him a special revelation about the communion. You read that in one Corinthians. What I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. Hallelujah. All right. So, 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 so there, there, that's, that's one aspect. The other thing is, you know, there is only one gospel. There's only one gospel because the Galatians, the Judaizers, were trying to pervert the gospel. And the Apostle Paul is very clear. He says, if I preach another gospel or any human being uh, or an angel preach another gospel, let them be anathema. So strong the words. Because the enemy always tries to find substitutes. There's no substitute for the gospel, only one gospel. So the Judaizers tried to bring a, a, a division between Peter and Paul. They were preaching, oh, Paul is preaching another gospel from Peter. And in the book of Galatians, it tells us, I submitted afterwards to the gospel of the apostles. They could, there's nothing they could add to it. It was the same gospel. 
1 Corinthians 15 tells us that whether they preach it or I preach it, it's the same gospel. Hallelujah. All right. So it's important to remember the source of the gospel. All right, let's move on to the witness of the gospel. Is that the number two? Yes. The witness to the gospel. When, when, the, when the gospel first came, with the, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of time, that was not the beginning. That was the time of fulfillment. Because right from the book of Genesis, right through the Old Testament, the Lord was giving announcements right from the dawn of human history of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ. So it wasn't a novelty. It was a time of fulfillment, but God had always been signaling it. And why is that important? Because I know I face this because I came from a different background, from an Eastern faith. And one of the things that my, many of my friends said to me says, oh, Christianity is only 2,000 years old. But this particular faith is longer than that. We've been there before you. Well, I correct them. I says we were there when God, the first human beings, were created. How do I know that? Let me show you this to you, okay? So it's the witness, the scriptures bear witness to the gospel. The scriptures bear witness to What's the first intimation of the gospel? Whenever the Lord gives revelation, it's always in a seed form. It develops as it progresses. Just like a seed, it doesn't have too much form. You plant it, it begins to take shape as it grows. So right through the scriptures, there's a growth in revelation as far as the gospel. The, the gospel is mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. What, did, what happened? When Adam and Eve fell, one of the things they did was they ran away from God, they hid themselves together, and they showed, sowed themselves fig leaves to cover their nakedness. What did God do? God rejected that covering and he allowed animals to be killed, blood was spilt, and the skins were taken off, and the skins were put around them. That became the first covering. Now this is just not my imagination running wild about Genesis 3. Other scholars will tell you that's the first announcement of the gospel in the Bible. The importance of the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins because Hebrews tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Fig leaves have got no blood in it. Fig leaves stands for the philosophies and the religions of the world. This blood sacrifice, atonement, all those sacrifices point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so from that moment on, onward, as it proceeded, as God gave greater understanding of that through Moses, the sacrificial system was put in, the, in place. In Exodus chapter 12 as well, Christ, in the New Testament understanding of Passover is, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Lamb without blemish. So when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So right through the scriptures, you'll find this. Did you know that the gospel was announced to Abraham? Galatians tells it very clearly. When the Lord gave the promise, in you, in your seed, the, the whole world will be blessed. 
Genesis, Galatians tells us, the Lord announced, let me just read this to you. This is utterly amazing. Genesis, Genesis tells us this. Uh, here is Genesis, uh, sorry, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7 says, Understand then that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. In what words? All the nations will be blessed through you. It tells us in your seed, singular, referring to Christ himself, who would come down the, uh, the Abrahamic line. So God pronounced that. In the Isaiah 53, you know, the, one of the greatest chapters on the cross, atonement, you know, what's that about? How do we know it's about Jesus? Because when that Ethiopian eunuch was on his chariot, the Lord told Philip, you join yourself to this man in the chariot. And what was the, the Ethiopian official doing? He was reading Isaiah 53. And he said, who is, the, is, the, is this writer talking about? Prophet about himself or some other prophet? Beginning at that very scripture, Philip preached Jesus. Hallelujah. So that's why in 1 Corinthians 15 it says, Jesus died according to the scriptures, like Isaiah 53. Jesus rose again according to the scriptures, like Psalm 16. Hallelujah. God gave signals throughout human history that somebody would come who would pay the penalty of our sins. Hallelujah. From the dawn of human history. All right, third one, let's move on quickly then. Number three, the heart of the gospel. What's the core of the gospel? Okay, here it is then. As it says, uh, the, the second one was through his prophets. He promised before and through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. The third one is regarding his son. Regarding his son. So the core of the gospel, the core of the gospel is a person. Not a principle, and I'll explain this, nor a system. Please, really get hold of this. Not a principle, not a system, not even teaching, which is, they all have their places, but they're secondary. Why do I say that? It's a person. That's why, you know, in Luke chapter 24, you know, when the, the, the disciples were slow, the disciples on the Emmaus Road were slow to understand his death and resurrection, what did Jesus do? Beginning at the law and the prophets, amazing verse, he, he explained in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see this? This is about me. You see Exodus 12? That's about me. You see Isaiah 53? That's about me. You see Numbers 21? That's about me. You see the sacrifices in Leviticus? That's about me and my work. Person. That's why when Jesus came, you know what he says? He didn't say, I've come to show you the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the way. I am the truth. It's not a principle. It's not a teaching. It's not a moral system in the first place. It's about a person and what that person has done for us. That's the heart of the gospel. Take, for example, Buddhism or some other teaching. The founder. The founder introduced their teaching, but you can separate his teaching from the founder. The founder's died, dead now, but you can still have the Buddhist teaching. But if you take Christianity, 
and you take away the founder and his work, and you've got good teaching, you do not have Christianity. You do not have Christianity. You've got something that's now become a religion, but it's not Christianity. You cannot separate it from the person and what he's done through his death and resurrection. The teaching follows afterwards to explain it. That's why you're not saved. Not, you're not even saved by the scripture. Please hear me well. You're saved by a person that the scripture points to. Are you with me? The Jews didn't understand this. Read this in John chapter 5. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, you study the scriptures and you think you have eternal life in them. The Lord wasn't denigrating the scriptures, but he says, the scriptures, you know, these scriptures testify of me, but you fail to come to me. These people who knew the Old Testament scriptures failed at the most critical time in failing to see that the scripture points to a person. So what's the heart of the gospel? Yes. You know, a teaching didn't die for us. A teaching wasn't raised for us. A system wasn't died for us. A system wasn't raised for us. A principle didn't die for us. And the principle wasn't raised up. A person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's very important to keep that in mind. All right. Okay, so let's move on this from the, the heart of, that's the heart of the gospel. The next one. The next one is the reach or the outreach of the gospel. How far is the gospel meant to go? Now, some people try and confine it and say, well, he came to the Jews and it's mainly a Jewish religion. No, it's not. The, the reach of the gospel is the whole world. And why is the reach of the gospel for the whole world? Because every human being, no matter what nationality he is, no matter where he or she lives, every human being is a sinner without exception. Can you say amen to that? That's why the great book of Romans, what does the apostle Paul do in chapter, first, second part of chapter one and chapter two and half of chapter three? He says, the Jews are sinners, the Gentiles are sinners, <coughs> And there are gross, immoral sinners, and there are respectable sinners. There are religious sinners, and there are non-religious, secular sinners, but all of them are sinners. And he concludes, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned, but here's the contrast. Only one Savior, not many saviors. So you can't say, oh, well, I'm, uh, I'm Indian. There's one way for Indians, another way uh, for Maoris, another way for Europeans. No, no. They were all sinners, and God has only provided one Savior for the whole world. And therefore, the reach cannot be confined to any country. It has to be for every human being. Hallelujah. That's why the Lord gave the command, you know, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go to the whole world, preach the gospel. <coughs> when did he make this statement? After his death and resurrection, just before his ascension. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 24, 14, the clearest, when he gives the signs of his second coming, the clearest sign is the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations. Then the end, which is marked by the second coming, will come. 
Hallelujah. All right. So it's for everybody. So what drives mission? What drives mission? On one hand, all human beings are sinners. On the other hand, there is only one Savior. Those are the things that are drivers for mission. <coughs> okay. So that's number four. Number five. Number five. The number five, the response to the gospel. Okay, I'm reaching my first marker. My response for the gospel is faith. Though Jesus has died for us and rose again to bring justification, the, the benefits of the, of the gospel, though it is potentially for every human being, it has to be appropriated by faith. It is not automatic. It is not automatic. It has to be appropriated. And faith, faith is the empty hand which receives the gift of God. Hallelujah. Faith is a response to the grace of God. The only way you can receive a gift is to reach, stretch out your hand. But these hands are empty hands. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. When we come to the end of ourselves, we sort of lay aside our pride, humble ourselves, and confess we are sinners, believe that we cannot save ourselves. That's what religions of the world are, self-salvation. There's no such thing as self-salvation. Only God can save us. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Only God can save us. Therefore, there's nothing we can bring. We can't earn it. We can't pay for it, which is called works in the Bible. There's only one thing you can do. Receive this great, enormous gift. Free to us. Cost God everything. Free, yet very costly. The costliest thing that ever could be. Can you think of a bigger price to pay than for God, uh, uh, God to send his son? The author of life to taste death is an ultimate contradiction and humiliation. Why did he do it? For us, he didn't have any sins for, of his own to pay for. It's all for us. Because you see, what's it meant to do? The gospel is meant, grace, which is an act of grace, the supreme act of grace, it's meant to you know, cause thanksgiving, gratitude to rise up in our hearts. And all our service then becomes a way of saying thanks to God. Not have to. When a person says, I have to do this, I have to do that, they don't understand grace. The more you appreciate grace, the more thankful you are. The Apostle Paul, when he taught thanks, thanksgiving and the financial giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you know what he says? He finishes up by saying, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What gift is that? Jesus when he gave it to him, to us on the cross. It's meant to cause the fountains of gratitude to rise up to God in thanksgiving. And our service is not I have to, and somebody has to twist out my arm. No, it's an utter privilege to serve God. It's a privilege to be a minister of God. It's a privilege to be a Christian. Okay, let's move on. Number six, two more, and we're finished. The propagation, the spread. Propagation means the spread. Nobody will discover the gospel for themselves. 
Somebody has to tell them. Either in a written form, verbal ways. Romans 10 is the important part over here. Romans 10, verse 13 to 15. Everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on whom they haven't believed? How can they believe of whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear without somebody going to them? The gospel puts the onus on Christians who have received the blessing. They are responsible to take the first step towards a non-Christian. Can you say an amen to that? Not them coming to us. It's we going to them. We have to initiate because we've experienced it. And that job God has given to a human being is not to angels. The redeemed, only the redeemed can sing the redemption story. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. So the propagation of the gospel is on us. Yes, the, um, uh, the, you know, the Bible talks in Ephesians 4, extension gift ministries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that does not absolve us from our responsibility. For Acts chapter 8 tells us the gospel, apostles remained in Jerusalem, the people were scattered, and everybody preached the gospel. Acts chapter 8, you can read that. Okay, number seven, and with this we finished. Number seven is the motives uh, for, for the gospel. What kind, what kind of motives? Are, all right. Number one motive is because, uh, because uh, people are sinners and without that they'll be forever separated from God. That's a good motive. The second two motive is, uh, the second motive is because God has commanded us to preach the gospel. But you know what the highest motive is? The highest motive it is here. In verse 5, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all and Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. The highest motive for sharing the gospel is that God might be honored for the great blessing he has brought to mankind of him, through him, to him are all things. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I beg you, you know these things, meditate on it. Understand the implications of it. Let worship and gratitude, you know, spring up well up in our hearts and let it be poured out to the people round about us. I commend it to you till belief becomes deep convictions in our heart. Amen. Wow. That was fast, eh? Rasik, Pastor Rasik rocket ship. <laughs> Heading out of the solar system. That was fantastic. That was great. I was struggling to keep up taking notes then. I was, I'm slow at the best of times, but I was, my fires were, fingers were practically catching on fire. That, that's a lot to go away and think about. Um, I might need to rewind that and uh, have another listen to the pod on that and uh, just have a good think about it. Thank you very much for coming and sharing that. Um, what a wonderful day it's been. Isn't it great? Who's got plans for tomorrow? Anyone got plans? I have. I'm going to find someone to share some of this stuff with. Who's going to share? Who's going to propagate some of this stuff? Who's going to tell, find someone 
who's in need tomorrow and share the love of God with them. That's a good thing. How about we make that our goal, eh? Reach out, find one person to share something about God with, to change their world. So as always, as we go out of here, don't keep God a secret. Take Him out with you and share Him around like a torch. Um, He wants to be shared with people and that. So how about I pray and we'll uh, hand back to the band. Father, I thank you, God, for all these people here. Thank you, they're your people, your kids, your sons and daughters. And I just thank you for them. I thank you that you love every single one of them dearly. You have their best interests in mind. And you have great futures for every single person here. And I just pray as we head out uh, that you would go with us. You would bring people into our paths that we could share who need hope who need love. Give us the words, give us the wisdom, give us the things to say to them that would bring them closer to you. Father, may we do it in peace. Father, in Jesus' name, amen.